Hi, everybody, and welcome back to episode three of Mind the Teacher. I am one of your co-hosts, Seth Gershenson of American University, and I am joined, as always, by Stephen Holt. Hi, everybody. Hey, Steve. How's it going? Hi. It's going well. How are you? I'm pretty good. The focus of episode three is going to be to talk about the academic research on what we know about teachers' mental health. And there's going to be three separate segments of today's show. The first segment, Steve and I are going to talk about some of our own research that we co-authored together, along with a a former student of mine who's now a professor at Shanghai University of Finance and Economics, Ray Wang. And the three of us wrote this research paper a couple years ago, pre-COVID, in fact, the paper, we'll put a link on the on the website, the paper's entitled Stress Test, Examining the Evolution of Teachers' Mental Health Over Time. This is circulated as an ICA discussion paper, and it's freely downloadable on the website. And this paper was generously supported by the Spencer Foundation. And in fact, this paper is what motivated Spencer to reach out to us about having a podcast on teachers' mental health to try to spread the word about what we know about teachers' mental health mm-hmm. and and how we can do better by teachers and ultimately do better by students mm-hmm. to address these mental health concerns. So I was sort of drawn to this research question after hearing a story on NPR about a novice teacher who was crying in their car after a particularly difficult day during their first year in the classroom. And it was a very poignant story and a, and a very awful thought to imagine a, a teacher going to cry in their car after, after school. But of course, we don't want to make policy based on a handful of anecdotes And so this NPR story got me to thinking, what do we actually know about teachers' mental health broadly, you know, across the profession, across the country? Do we have representative survey data that can really tell us how big of a problem is this? And is this problem unique to teaching or is this a broader mental health crisis for everybody across all professions. Right. And so right. this led me to start thinking about what data could help us answer that question. And that led me to a longitudinal survey, the National Longitudinal Study, uh, National Longitudinal Survey of Youth. And there's two right. of those, one in 1979 that is looking at young people who are entering the workforce in the early 80s. And another, the NLSY 97, who is, which is similarly looking at young people who are entering the workforce in the late 90s and early 2000s. And so right. Steve and I, along with Ray Wang, the three of us gathered and analyzed this data. And of course, COVID happened you know, after this research was complete and opened up a whole new set of questions. And we'll circle back to that. But for now, Steve, why don't you run through, like, what are the main findings there in our study? Right. So there are really three questions that we tackle in our study about teachers' mental health. The first is, are the people who become teachers just different in some way that relates ultimately to their mental health? Mm -hmm. As you mentioned earlier, national data on mental health is rare, but one thing that makes the NLSY unique is that we observe measures of mental health before people enter the workforce. This feature of the data allowed us to compare teachers and non-teachers to see if any differences in mental health are really just a function of pre-existing differences in the kinds of people that choose to teach. And focusing on the 79 cohort for now, so young people who joined the workforce in the 80s, we see there's really Mm -hmm. not any evidence that teachers differ from non-teachers in their mental health status as adolescents. So any mental health differences between teachers and non-teachers are not because the people who become teachers are different in some way before teaching. Second question we try to tackle is how teachers' mental health compares to their peers in other professions while they're working. Is there something unique about teaching that impacts mental health, or do we need more attention to mental health broadly? And here, again, focusing on the 79 cohort, we find very little evidence 
between teachers and non-teachers and their mental health status while they're working. So in short, we don't find any evidence that teachers' mental health is all that different from Mm -hmm. non-teachers, either before their working years or during them. Now, I think it's worth adding a few quick notes here. First, this really just underscores that mental health is important for everyone, including teachers, and we should be sure that schools provide sufficient mental health supports. As we heard in episode two, there's clearly still a lot of room for improvement on that front. Second, we might care a great deal about teachers' mental health because poor mental health in the classroom affects more than just the teacher, but their students and their students' families as well. And finally, teachers work on a seasonal schedule, so there may be fluctuations in their mental health throughout the year that we don't see in our data and that is unique relative to other professions. And how do the two cohorts compare? Right. So the third question we tackle in our study is, has mental health in the teaching profession changed? And answering this question capitalizes on the other unique feature of the NLSY, which is that we have data from two cohorts decades apart. We follow a similar approach to look at the 97 cohort and compare the mental health of teachers and non-teachers before and after they enter the workforce. And just like with the 79 cohort, we find teachers' mental health is not much different from non-teachers' mental health. Mm -hmm. There are two things that I think are worth noting. The first is simply that mental health in the 97 cohort is generally worse than mental health in the 79 cohort for teachers and non-teachers alike. The second thing worth noting is some supplemental analysis we've done on race. In episode four, you're going to sit down with Dr. Travis Bristol for a really interesting conversation about race and education and how that shapes mental health in schools. And I think our findings Mm -hmm. are, are a teaser for that richer conversation. Basically, when we look at the 79 cohort of teachers, both black and non black teachers had similar mental health status while teaching. However, when we look at the 97 cohort, that no longer holds true. In the more recent cohort of teachers, black teachers have worse mental health than non-black teachers. But overall, the takeaway is that even though the more recent cohort has worse mental health, teachers' mental health remains similar to non-teachers, even in the 97 cohort. And is that surprising? Or I mean, I guess I know that there's been a lot of talk about the No Child Left Behind Act uh, and, and various accountability pressures on teachers and on schools in general, but also more computers, more social media. You know, the, wor- the world has changed certainly in the, in the 2000s from the 80s that might have right, right. just been, you know, sort of a, a culture shift that changes the stress and pressure we all, right. all feel. There are several ways to think about it. You know, it could be that expectations around work have, have shifted in ways uh, that are unique to that cohort It could also be that uh, the Great Recession effect, right? Uh, Many of the 97 cohort were graduating college right around the time and early career right around the time of the the Great Mm -hmm. Recession. So, And so we could speculate, you know, we could speculate all day about about why broad trends in mental health have changed across decades. But, you know, for the the very micro focus of, of our discussion about teachers... I mean, the main results really do seem pretty similar across the two cohorts, right? At right. the end of the day, That's exactly right. at least in this survey data, and 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 at least pre-COVID, teachers' mental health is not that different, uh, and if anything, might be better sometimes than similar, right. similarly professional non-teachers. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, that's a little bit surprising, maybe especially given, you know, stories like the NPR story that that motivated this research agenda in the first place. But again, on the other hand, there are, you know, workplace stressors and pressures everywhere. And so, you right. know, understanding that teachers might face, even though their job is very different in, in some ways, if they were facing similar pressures and and stress as everyone else, well, maybe we can learn from how other professions and other workplaces have addressed mental health a little bit. And to sort of get towards that, we're going to have to address another question, which is, you know, is this unique to the U.S.? The the U.S. has a fairly unique educational system. And for that, we're going to turn our second segment of the podcast over to two researchers from the U.K., 
John Jerram and Sam Sims, they've actually done some really similar research in the OECD setting and in the UK setting. And I think for the most part, they find similar results as us, but we're going to talk to them about what they've found and, and some of their research. They've been working on this for a long time in a lot of different settings and from a lot of different angles. And then the other question is that all of our data and indeed all of our analysis took place prior to the COVID pandemic. And the COVID pandemic totally changed society in general, but it it maybe, you know, education was one of the most profoundly affected areas by the pandemic. And so we're also, at at the end of this episode, we're going to talk to Elizabeth Steiner from the RAND Corporation, who has analyzed survey data of teachers post-COVID and and during the COVID pandemic, and we'll see what she finds. And, And there, I think, to foreshadow a little bit, it seems like teachers might have been disproportionately affected. And that certainly aligns with a lot of the the public narrative about how hard the COVID pandemic has hit schools and teachers. Right. All right. So let's turn it over to John Jerram and Sam Sims and hear what they find in their research in the UK. Hi, everybody. We've asked Dr. John Jerram and Dr. Sam Sims to join us on the podcast today to discuss what we know about how teachers' mental health compares to workers in other occupations and what aspects of teaching might influence mental health that are unique to teaching, that are different from other professions. Their work is largely based in Europe and the UK in particular, but they've done a lot of cross-country work. And we'll, we'll dive into that, and, and we'll talk about how it compares to the work that Steve and I have done in the U.S. Dr. Jerem is a professor of education and social statistics at the University College of London's Institute of Education, and Dr. Sims is a lecturer at the University of College London's Center for Education and Equalizing Opportunities. Again, they've collaborated many times and published many studies together that look at teachers' mental health, teachers' workload how teachers compare to non-teachers in terms of mental health and workload, cross-country comparisons of these things. And we're just really grateful that they're able to take the time to talk to us today about this important research. So thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great. So let's start at the beginning. How did you get into this? What made you think about mental health and and teachers' mental health as a research topic? Yeah, so it was pre-pandemic, really, when we began this project, and it was one of the hot topics in education within the UK. And that really stemmed Mm -hmm. from there being, what many terms, a kind of teacher retention and recruitment crisis, with many arguing that it was the mental health implications of becoming a teacher that was partly responsible for that crisis. So hence, we decided to get into this topic because our look around the literature was a lot of this seemed to be funded or a lot of claims made by interest groups, in particular teaching unions, with not Mm -hmm. so much independent academic evidence available on the issue. So we kind of went about trying to create the Bible of mental health research for teachers by throwing together as much as we could from as many different data sets in uh, the UK as possible. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, that's a similar, similar story to to how Steve and I got interested in this in the US setting. And not even that we were worried about biases in, in who's doing the reporting, but also just a lot of this seems to be anecdotal, right? You'll, you'll hear stories from teachers or, or read a, a blog post or a, a newspaper article where um, teachers or school leaders mention these things. But as a, as a social scientist, we want to see like, is this an anecdote or does it, does it hold up in a, in a, a bigger data set? And the other thing that I want to point out is that the story you told about what was happening in the UK, I mean, that's a very, very similar story that we hear in the US and elsewhere, that there's a, a crisis with teacher burnout, we're losing teachers because of this. So it really does seem like it's a, a global phenomenon, potentially. Yeah, um, I think that's right. And I think it's interesting to kind of reflect on that issue more generally about the mm-hmm. cross-country comparisons, that there's an always a, a tendency to believe 
it's something specific to your country and specific to your education system. But when you do take this kind right. of wider look internationally, you do realise that similar arguments are being made elsewhere. Yep. And you may not stand out, your country may not stand out as much as you might think in this respect. This data, so you've mentioned the, the TELUS data, that is the Teaching and Learning International Study. Can you tell us a little bit about that data set? Is it publicly available? You know, can anybody download it on the, from the internet? Who collects it? And I should say for our listeners, we're going to put links to these data sets, links to these research articles on the website so you can check them out. But yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to, to learn more. And I think our listeners would like to learn more about this, this TELUS data set. Yeah, so TELUS is an international study run by the OECD. They first conducted it in 2008 and have uh, repeated it in 2013 okay. and 2018. England took part in 2013 and has repeated it again in 2018, though interestingly has decided to okay. back out in uh, 2024. And I suppose for your listeners, you know, the United States has participated in at least the 2013 and 2018 then surveys as okay. well. So it's a big. So it's only OECD countries? No, it includes no. Non some non OECD countries as well. Oh, okay. That number has grown between 2013 and 2018. So it's one of those okay. weird things where not all OECD countries take part, but some non-OECD countries or regions within countries then take part okay. as well. So yeah. we're talking it's about, about like 50 countries, I think. Now, uh, 50 so countries. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, you wrote a, a pretty well-known, pretty important paper about job satisfaction that compared teachers across 17 different countries. And so you find that teachers in, in England had relatively low job satisfaction. Is that right? Yeah. So we find that it's as low or lower as all the other countries in the comparison group, essentially. Do you have any, like, why do we think that is? Do you have any, any guess? So we know from the, the sort of literature on correlates of job satisfaction of teachers and in particular the literature on how teachers' working environment or working conditions in schools relates to their job satisfaction that mm -hmm. the extent of what we might call supportive leadership in schools have a very has a very strong relation with uh, teachers' job satisfaction. So that's sort of the strongest and most consistent predictor across studies, mm -hmm. uh, really. In some other uh, unpublished research, we've tried to make comparisons of this sort of leadership construct across countries as well. We're not able to compare it to as many countries for statistical reasons. We only look, we only make the comparisons where there's evidence that these questions are sort of being interpreted and mean the same thing across different countries. But we find that in England, the, the extent of supportive leadership in schools is also very low compared to other countries. So that is a pretty good, I mean, I think we need more research on that, but that's a pretty good candidate explanation for why teachers in England don't seem to be particularly happy, or at least in 2018 in this data. Right. Yeah, just to pick up and on I Sam's guess, um, point, okay. sorry, just to pick up on Sam's point that that paper was uh, done using, I believe, the TALIS 2013 data. I think it's worth, I <laughs> no, that's okay. And I think it's worth pointing out that at the time the TADIS study was done, there was kind of a, uh, in 2013 in particular, there was a particularly, I would say, disliked education minister who was bringing in quite a lot of fairly controversial policies, which would add quite a lot onto teachers' okay. workload. And I think that also fed through into the 2018 edition as well, because people were mm -hmm. suffering from that additional kind of workload with those policies kind of working through, I think, at that sure. point. So I think there was kind of a big policy issue right. running through the 2013 well, and, and 2018 data, which could explain that. And I, I think that's analogous to, in the in the US context, there were concerns that the consequential accountability policy, the testing regime, consequential testing, no child left behind, that policies like that affected teachers' mental health. So I guess a similar similar story might have been happening in England. Okay, so the other important thing, though, is that if we think that we have a reason for why the job satisfaction among teachers in England was, was lower than in other countries, then that also gives us 
some ideas about how to improve teacher morale and improve teacher mental health, right? By changing those factors, which, and, and if we think leadership is a big factor, then that seems like something that schools and districts and policymakers should be thinking about, right? Yeah, I agree. There is a kind of irony here that, as I understand it, England has one of the most sort of comprehensive school leadership training kind of frameworks, certainly amongst the countries that I know of. And there's a paper by uh, Jonathan Supervitz from the US that was written about 10 years ago, I think, where he's just sort of did this case study on the the English school leadership training system and sort of outlined how comprehensive it was. And since then, that's been kind of reformed and even expanded actually recently. So it's not for lack of training, it seems, that we've ended up with a system where teachers relative to other countries think perceive their sort of the leaders in their schools as being not very supportive of course that doesn't mean that we can reform and improve those leadership training programs and make it better and i hope that is that is happening Mm -hmm. Um, but in in terms of what this uh, kind of looking across the papers in this literature what do we mean by supportive leadership you know if there's a school leader listening to this podcast what concretely do we mean by that And it seems like school leadership that's characterized by kind of listening to teachers' views, carefully explaining the rationale for why decisions are made, recognizing the work of teachers, you know, the work they're doing, good stuff that's being done. Yeah, that kind of stuff um, seems to be what we have is in kind of short supply in the uh, the English school system when we write these papers. Yeah. Well, that, that lines up exactly with what another guest on the podcast, uh, Stephen Guerrero, said, who who is a public school teacher in the, right. in the U.S. in Massachusetts. That's very much along the lines of, of what he said w- was helpful to teachers, having leaders who are empathetic, who take the time to, to build and nurture relationships, who explain why things are the way they are. I think that's a really good point. And an important thing for for school leaders and policymakers to keep in mind, you know, when they're hiring school principals and so on. So the cross-country comparisons are fascinating, but the other thing I found really interesting in your research is the cross-occupation comparisons. We talked about the stigma about talking about mental health seems to be declining. The importance of mental health seems to be increasing in the public space and, and public dialogues. So everybody needs good mental health and everybody is stressed. Certainly during the pandemic, everybody's um, been exposed to a variety of new stressors. So what does the teaching occupation look like relative to other occupations when it comes to mental health? Yeah, so we've looked at this in kind of various different uh, dimensions, as we were saying earlier, with various different measures. Yeah. And on, on the whole, after you take into account differences in demographic characteristics, so differences in, say, gender, education, ethnicity, about who moves into the different kind of occupations. Teachers seem Mm -hmm. to be doing not too badly compared to kind of uh, most other professions in general, Mm -hmm. particularly in some dimensions compared to uh, others of, in particular, well-being. So, for instance, you can take head teachers, and they often come out in our comparisons quite well in terms of things like... uh, life satisfaction and Mm self-worth compared to those in other occupations whereas for measures such as anxiety and happiness you know teachers around the kind of average for most other kind of professional occupations okay and you're comparing them to everybody or specific occupations our main comparisons are to kind of other professional occupations okay and we do with the university degree yes the things like that you with a university degree we also do some we pull out some specific comparator occupations as well within our tables which is a bit of an eclectic mix within itself you know things like accountants marketing professionals authors and writers solicitors things like that various different kind of Mm -hmm. uh, occupations yeah but on the whole teachers are kind of around around the average don't particularly stand out as much as one might expect in some ways the one sort of nuance to that point um, is teachers um, that work in schools that are specifically for pupils with special educational needs, uh, right. where on some of these measures, we do see them standing out. And 
you know, although we're not able to interrogate that with the data, you know, it's plausible that working with pupils with these additional needs on top of all the needs that a normal pupil has creates extra demands for, for the teachers and, and staff. But yeah, by and large, yeah. teachers, you know, non-special ed teachers look very average in terms of their sort of measures of mental health and well-being compared to these other occupations. And were you surprised by that, given the narrative that there's a, a crisis of sorts uh, among teachers' mental health? Yeah, I think we were a bit surprised by that. I mean, conditional on all the things we said about there not being that much great evidence around at the start, I think well, I probably expected it to be slightly worse than some of these other occupations. I mean, if you think about, you know, comparing... Right. Just the nature of the work that teachers do to the nature of the work that, for example, a marketing professional does. Teaching is a it's highly relational job. So yep. sec secondary school teachers have to maintain kind of warm, productive relationships with hundreds of pupils at any time. That's demanding. Right. There's much more accountability pressure on teachers than there are on marketing professionals, I would argue. And also teachers work this kind of strange, maybe we'll come on to talk a bit more about hours, you know, working hours, but yeah. I've seen estimates that teachers tend to do roughly the same amount of work as comparable sort of professional occupations. But of course, it's all compressed into about 80% of the time. And so right. they end up with these working patterns that are more similar to perhaps maritime workers where you've got... Uh, kind of, you know, week-long periods of very intense work followed right. by periods of sort of shore leave in inverted commas where you're having right. some time off. And that's the, you know, the equivalent for teachers would obviously be, you know, the summer break or whatever. So they're sort of doing the same amount of work as other people, but it's highly relational. There's lots of accountability pressure and it's compressed yeah. into about four fifths of the time. Right. So for all those reasons, I thought we might see teachers coming out looking a little bit worse. Um, but I guess right. it's a pleasant surprise that we did. Yeah. That's exactly what Steve and I thought when we did our, our U.S. study, and we found very, very similar results to you all, that actually, on average, teachers kind of look like everyone else. And we were surprised, but also, you know, after thinking about it, the world's a stressful place, and everyone is dealing with different pressures and, and different challenges. So I think that the teaching is such an important profession that stories about teacher burnout and teacher mental health show up in the news more often than for other professions. But one of my takeaways, at least, was that mental health is very important. And it's something that everyone is dealing with, not just certain professions. I think that's so, also an interesting yeah. point around the result that John mentioned about head teachers actually looking quite positive compared to other occupational groups. I mean, mm -hmm. there are other things involved here, right, in that head teachers tend to be higher paid than other teachers and so on. But it sort of prompts a thought, really, which is that as well as having these demanding characteristics, teaching is actually, in many ways, a very rewarding and meaningful job. And mm -hmm. when you actually look at some of the questionnaire items in these, in these validated scales for measuring well-being and mental health, you know, some of the items directly tap this idea that, you know, I find my life meaningful or, or similar words right. like that. Yes. And so it, it's no surprise to me that perhaps some of these demands, or it's plausible to me, sorry, that some of these demands of the job are just compensated for by the very sort of rewarding, meaningful aspects of the job around, you know, helping pupils learn and develop and, and flourish. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a very good point. And I think that's another point that, that I think aligns with what Stephen Guerrero talked about on his episode, talking about, you know, why he became a teacher. And there really is this bouncing act of, you know, teachers got into teaching largely because they want to help kids and they want to make the world a better place and they want to help kids reach their, their potential. And there's an inherent stress there because, you know, what if you, what if you have a bad day and what if you don't right. do your best? So that inherent tension, I, I think, is also part of what makes teaching such a, a unique profession when it comes to mental health. There's, there's these huge payoffs to, you know, having a good day and seeing a student succeed. And there's these huge costs of seeing a student have a rough day, or you yourself um, having an off day in the classroom, say. And those nuances are, are hard to get at in the data. But I, but I think you're right. These different measures are capturing different dimensions of those feelings that the teachers have over the course of the year. 
The one last sort of topic I, I wanted to make sure that we have a chance to hit on is that I know you've also done some interesting work on working conditions and how working conditions and workload affects teacher retention, teacher burnout, teacher mental health. What do we know about working conditions? And again, this, you know, this might, this is, I guess, pre-COVID, but also we could maybe extrapolate to how is working conditions under COVID and being virtual maybe. How is that affecting job satisfaction, teacher retention, and so on? Sam, I think this is one for you. (laughs) Sure, sure. So John mentioned um, linking the TALIS data with the administrative data Uh for England. So the administrative data in England is the school workforce census Okay. Uh, lots, lots of analogous data sets in the in US states, I think, that just contain information on teachers, their sort of career patterns, qualifications, and so on. Mm-hmm. And so that allowed us to take about 40 different questions from the TALIS questionnaire, which assess various aspects of teachers' working lives, their working conditions, and sort of boil them down into some underlying dimensions. So for example, I think there were sort of seven um, seven different questionnaire items that tapped this idea of supportive leadership I mentioned earlier. And there are a bunch of items that tap, uh, you know, the sort of behavioral disciplinary standards in a school and so on. And mm-hmm. then we can model the relationship between these aspects of teachers' working conditions and their job satisfaction and using that school workforce census data, whether they subsequently left the profession in the following sort of 18-month period. And I think the clearest findings from that research, and this is very consistent with other research, lots of it from the US, is that it's those two factors that I mentioned, the supportive leadership and the sort of Uh disciplinary behavioral standards in the school Uh are strongly predictive of job satisfaction and um, whether or not teachers actually subsequently remain in the profession or leave the profession. And this has some quite nice, you know, implications for school leaders and policymakers, I think. I mentioned sure. before about, we discussed the virtues of leadership training or, you know, productive leadership styles. The other big one, as I mentioned, is around behavioral standards in a school. And mm-hmm. so what these surveys suggest, kind of reading between the lines of these different studies, are that if you have a school with kind of clear behavioral standards where students sort of know how they're expected to behave... And mm-hmm. these are consistently enforced. Kind of, yeah, yeah they, those standards are insisted on by teachers and by school leaders. And that the kind of behavior policy helps teachers get on with the job of teaching. So a concrete example of that is lots of schools in England have moved to centralized detention systems so that if a teacher gives a detention to a pupil, then they the teacher doesn't have to give up their lunchtime to kind of run the detention. Instead, it's being okay. run in some centralized room in the school, that kind of thing, because it allows the teachers to get on with the job of teaching, which, as we discussed, is usually the reason they went into the profession in the first place. Right. Yeah. So I think those are the strongest bets, those two things, for for school leaders looking to kind of improve job satisfaction and and retention of teachers in their schools, certainly among the group of things which are within the power of head teachers to influence. For sure. I mean, that's a great segue. And, and I guess you've already sort of spoken to the question about like, what do, what do we do to make teachers' lives easier, to make teachers' mental health better? Supportive leadership is definitely one thing. Part of that is is hiring good leaders. Part of that is providing resources and, and training to those leaders. I know one of my co-authors on another line of research, Constance Lindsay, wrote a really important review of what we know about principles in the U.S. and how important principles are. So school leaders, for sure, are important. We'll put up a link to that principle review on on the website as well. Is there any other policy dimensions besides school leadership that you think policymakers, school leaders, principals, district leaders should be thinking about when we start to reopen schools next fall? I I guess one of the things that really teachers always flag, and as an academic who also has teaching responsibilities can uh, have a lot of sympathy with, is uh, marking. If we're looking at workload, marking seems to be the one aspect that really correlates strongly and not in a good way with teacher mental health and well-being and workplace stress. So Anything that could be done. So in the US, we would say, I guess, grading papers. Yeah, grading papers. So is the answer, which I I think teachers benefit a lot in other ways too, not just with marking and grading, but providing them with some sort of assistance. 
Yeah, so providing with assistance. Like having someone who can help with that. Yeah, yeah, assistance with that. Uh, And also, you know, digital technology. It does seem that Uh potentially the place there where a difference could be made. Sam, I think you've had some ideas around this previously as well, right, with marking and marking policy. Yeah, so, I mean, marking is obviously an important part of the teaching process, looking at people's work, providing feedback, giving them pointers on how their work can be improved. And um, yeah, I mean, nobody here is proposing that we sort of abolish that, but it's making sure that the marking is being done for the right reasons, for those fundamental pedagogical reasons, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, I think sometimes... Marking can be done for the purposes of sort of satisfying accountability measures. So in England, and I'm aware that this is different to the US, one of the main sort of ways in which schools are held accountable is through inspection visits by a national inspectorate, um, Uh where trained inspectors will come to the school, assess what's going on, observe lessons, look at books and so on. And John mentioned earlier those controversial reforms at the start of this decade around 2012-2013. Uh-huh. where marking was almost being done just to generate evidence for in school inspectors to look at. Um, so the comments in the bottom were, you know, a lot of what was being written in pupils' books was for the benefit of the inspector rather than the benefit of the pupil. Mm-hmm. And we know from, well, from various research and also from some nice <clears throat> kind of theory from psychology that teachers really didn't appreciate having to spend their time doing that kind of marking for accountability purposes, as opposed yeah. to marking for pedagogical purposes, which is kind yeah. of aligned with, you know, why they went into the profession in the first place. So, I mean, is the issue marking or is the issue having the time to mark and marking takes away time from other more important activities? I think it's probably a combination of both. And I think part of the trouble with marking is it's one of those jobs that's frankly fairly tedious, but also very important and happens and sociable hours not ideal times. So you put those things and it's time consuming. So you put all those things together and, you know, no yeah. no wonder it's the thing, one of the things right. that stands out always. So I think it, it, it's the mix yeah. between those different aspects. Right. So yeah, so one solution a- is, the, is providing more assistance to teachers. Another solution would be to give them more time somehow, right? Like giving them professional days or personal days off. Yeah. So, so another thing you can do on top of that is just change the way that sort of feedback is given to students. And there's actually a big movement in this direction in uh, yes, at the moment yes, yes. towards teachers reading all the, all the books and looking at the work, of course, to understand uh, you know, yep. common mistakes that pupils are making and areas where people could improve. But then instead of kind of writing lots of stuff on the bottom of the page in pupils' books, giving okay. all feedback to the class as a whole, right? So you're doing it as yep. one big batch Pupils are all benefiting from getting all of that feedback. So they're sort of, in a sense, the teacher is modeling what a good answer is by showing, okay, some people did this, but maybe, you know, think about doing it this way in future. And that's just a more efficient way of doing marking, which kind of maintains the pedagogical benefits of marking, but gets rid Mm -hmm. of some of those kind of tedious, laborious marking for the sake of accountability type elements. So I, I want to thank you both again for taking the time to talk to us today. It was really a pleasure and fascinating conversation. Our guests today were Dr. John Jerram and Dr. Sam Sims, both at the University College London. And uh, I'll give you the, the last word, guys. Thanks again for coming on. Are there any last big takeaways that you want to share with our listeners? I think I would just add that it is easy for some of the reasons we've discussed for Uh, kind of negative perception to build up about teaching as an occupation and Mm -hmm. the work and lives of teachers. But ultimately, the findings from papers like ours and papers like yours, Seth, is that these are quite optimistic findings, you know, and we shouldn't talk down the teaching profession because, you know, we need great teachers. And if the data says that actually this job is very comparable to other jobs in terms of, you know, some of these important considerations about mm-hmm. mental health and well-being, then, you know, that's a useful finding in and of itself. And, uh, you know, yeah. perhaps we should be a bit more optimistic about teaching. I think that's right. And another way to spin that is the policy implications we talked about with supportive leadership and so on, 
that's not unique to teaching, right? If everyone in all professions is um, struggling with various pressure and mental health concerns, we need to be helping everybody and doing a better job for everybody in all professions, not just teachers. You know, teachers are so important. They drive so many long-run student outcomes. They're the most important part of schools. They get a lot of attention. But really, mental health is uh, important for everybody. And uh, a lot of the lessons that we've learned about how to make teachers' lives and teachers' mental health better apply to other professions and vice versa. Things we've seen that work in other professions might do wonders in schools uh, for teachers. And, and we'll talk about that in our final episode. So I think that's exactly right. And um, I just want to thank you guys both again. It was a pleasure chatting, and I look forward to talking again sometime. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Seth. Cheers. We're going to turn now to Elizabeth Steiner of the Rand Corporation, who talks to us about COVID-19 and teachers' mental health. Today's guest is Elizabeth Steiner, a policy researcher at the nonprofit, nonpartisan RAND Corporation. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the show and, and glad you're, you're able to make it and talk with us. The reason we were so excited to invite you on is that you're one of the lead authors of a report that the Rand Corporation published just a couple months ago in June titled, Job-Related Stress Threatens the Teacher's Supply. And like the title suggests, you're looking at teacher labor supply, teachers' morale and how they're feeling and what that w might mean for their status in the profession now and moving forward. And so let me start with a, a big question, which is one of the main questions that you address in the study. What is the state of teacher well-being right now in the midst of this unprecedented global pandemic? Yeah, thanks so much. Our report presents findings from a nationally representative study of K-12 public school teachers in the United States that was fielded mm -hmm. in January and February of 2021, so just short of a year into the pandemic. The major topics we explore, as, as you pointed out, are the state of teacher well-being and teachers' intentions to leave their jobs at the time of the survey and mm -hmm. the stressors that teachers were facing at that time of the survey during the pandemic. Yep. So in short, we found, distressingly, that teachers are experiencing frequent job-related stress and mm -hmm. symptoms of depression far higher levels than the general adult population. And okay. that teachers are most stressed about working conditions related to their mode of instruction and their health. Mm -hmm. We also found that teachers who were considering leaving their jobs after the onset of the pandemic, but not before, were more likely to experience these stressful working conditions than their peers who were not considering leaving their jobs or their peers who were considering leaving their jobs prior to the pandemic. So we think we interpret this as, as suggesting that there's a group of teachers who are more stressed than the others, although everyone mm -hmm. is stressed, um, For sure. which in turn suggests that job-related stress among teachers and the conditions that are driving that stress is something that we need to address to support teachers staying in their jobs. Absolutely. The, the other thing I'll add is that we were able to compare sort of broadly our findings of teachers who are still in the profession with the findings from a survey that was administered just a few months before ours in December of okay. 2020. And that December 2020 survey was of teachers who had already left the profession. My colleague Heather Schwartz was one of the lead authors on that survey, along with Melissa Diliberti. And mm -hmm. Heather and Melissa found in their work that teachers who had already left the profession were cited stress as one of their top reasons for doing so, mm -hmm. along with pay and lack of childcare. <laughs> and so, you know, we saw that the teachers in our study who were still in the profession, um, but were considering leaving their jobs, the stressors that they cited were congruent in many ways or similar to those of teachers who had already left the profession. Mm -hmm. And so that raised some concern for us that among this group of teachers who weren't considering leaving their jobs prior to the pandemic, but were considering doing so in January, and who were additionally reporting more stress and you know, more symptoms of depression than their peers, that if yeah. something sort of wasn't, if something didn't give quickly, an intention to leave might turn into a decision to leave. And we yeah. found that to be concerning. And so 
Specifically, we saw that almost a quarter of teachers were considering leaving their jobs by the end of the school year. This was back in January. Most mm-hmm. of them were considering leaving after the onset of the pandemic. One caveat here, though, is that intentions to leave is sort of a mutable thing, right? And more recent mm-hmm. work has shown that this the percentage of teachers who intend to leave has dropped a little bit since January. It might be yeah. down now around 18%, which is close to where it was before the pandemic. And timing probably plays a role, too. You know, in January, it's beginning of right. second semester. In March or April, the end mm-hmm. of the school year is in sight, which, which may make a difference in how people respond. And we saw, too, that there were some differences by the race of the teacher. Um, mm-hmm. Almost half of Black or African-American <clears throat> teachers were considering leaving their jobs. Okay. Compared to about a quarter of teachers overall. And, of course, that was particularly alarming to us because... We, we know from your research, among others, that all students benefit from having teachers of color, from having teachers of diverse backgrounds, mm-hmm. and African-American students in particular can benefit from having teachers of their own race. Um, right. And then in addition, there are very few teachers of color in the profession. And right. if they consider, if they leave at higher rates, that <laughs> you know, poses a risk for the diversity yeah. of the teaching profession. For sure. They're already underrepresented, and, and it would make that underrepresentation even worse if turnover was higher. But the the other thing that you do in the study that's, I think, really important is compare teachers to the general public. So what do we find? What, what do these comparisons tell us about teachers versus non-teachers and, and how they dealt with the pandemic and stress and, and attitudes towards their jobs, the future, and so yeah. on? Well, we found that many more teachers rep- reported experiencing frequent job-related stress than U.S. adults who were uh-huh. working. Almost twice as many, actually. Nearly 80% of teachers reported frequent job-related stress compared Mm -hmm. to about 40% of employed U.S. adults. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Teachers were also more likely to say that they were considering leaving their jobs Mm -hmm. than U.S. adults generally. Um, And that's notable in in a pandemic. uh, We were starting to experience a recession. Yes. And... Again, that's troubling because, you know, if teachers are feeling that way, that means they're, it, it's distracting them from their core mission of, of teaching. It might lower their effectiveness in the classroom, even if they mm-hmm. stay. And again, I worry about the equity side of this, where mm-hmm. those feelings presumably are disproportionately accumulating in under-resourced schools and and in schools serving disadvantaged communities. And so that's just another obstacle, another burden that those teachers are dealing with, and and ultimately those students are dealing with because their teachers are distracted, maybe Mm -hmm. disengaged, and so on. Is that a a fair concern? I definitely think it's a fair concern. Um, We didn't find any evidence of that, though, in okay. our in our analyses, we we found similarly high reported rates of job related stress, similar stressors, and okay. similar intentions to leave the profession among teachers at all different school types, in all different kinds of okay. communities, at all different grade levels, of all different subject matters, and okay. all different levels of experience. Got it. So it's pretty universal. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I think it's a fair. I think it's a fair concern because you know prior to the pandemic. There's a large body of evidence that turnover at under-resourced schools is generally higher than at more privileged schools. And right. so you could imagine that perhaps in, in less extraordinary times that stress has a key role to play in, in what we see. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll jump, maybe if I may, to describing the second comparison oh, sure. group of, of yep. U.S. adults. So we also asked a very brief question to understand whether teachers and U.S. adults were experiencing symptoms of depression. There's a a measure that is used uh, occasionally in clinical settings called the patient health questionnaire. You may be familiar with it. It's a sort of recent diagnostic tool to get a very broad clinical sense of whether someone might be at risk for depression. It asks about depressive symptoms and how often that person has been experiencing them. It's a two-question. It's a two-question screener. Um, it's widely used. It's widely widely validated. Mm-hmm. And so we asked that question of teachers, and we were lucky enough to find a comparison group in 
the um, Understanding America study, which is run by the University of Southern California. It's Mm -hmm. a nationally representative survey of U.S. adults, working or not. And we were able to work with them to access access their data from their February survey, on which they asked the same question. They asked the same two-question patient health questionnaire screener. So we had this great comparison group of just general U.S. adults asking whether they were experiencing symptoms of depression. And we found that teachers, almost three times as many teachers, reported experiencing symptoms of depression as U.S. adults. It was about 27% of teachers compared with about 10% of U.S. adults. Wow. So almost three times. Yeah. Almost three times. Yeah. That is striking. And empathy is so important in schools. Being a good teacher means empathizing with students, but vice versa, right? Families and parents, principals, everybody needs to empathize with teachers, too, that they've tackled an incredibly difficult job during a very unusual and challenging situation. And so empathizing with teachers and also giving them agency and voice in you know how schools move forward during the pandemic and so on, I, I think is going to be so, so important to retaining an effective teacher workforce. And as I think you mentioned at the very beginning, teachers are, are flat out important. They're the most, uh, one of the most important parts of what makes a, a good school good and supporting and maintaining and retaining an effective teaching force is, is critically important. It absolutely is. And teachers' mental health is, is important. I think we touched on this a little bit at the beginning, but yeah. It's important not only for their students' learning experiences, but for the person themselves. <laughs> yeah, it, absolutely. It, right. You know, mental health distress can lead to physical ill health. And teachers mm-hmm. who are experiencing mental and physical health may be absent more. Maybe they're not as engaged in their work, as you already mentioned. And so absolutely. I think yep. that acknowledging those things and, and trying to support teachers as best we can from, from all levels, from school leaders to parents to district leaders mm-hmm. to you know, teachers with their colleagues, I think is, is incredibly important, especially since it yeah. looks like the next school year will be unusually challenging too. Yes. Well said. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Our guest has been Elizabeth Steiner, a policy researcher at the nonpartisan nonprofit Rand Corporation. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. It was great to be with you.